Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Johnson family. Uh, I need to apologize to everyone. We apparently got the world's hardest clicker. Uh, <laughs> last week for the Townsleys, this week for the Johnsons, so I, I'm sorry. We will uh, do our best to get one that actually people can light and use, uh, but really, really appreciate. Uh, it, it's really nice to have you guys as our church family being a part of this. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I love that we are a church where it's not just, you know, the, the professionals on stage that, that do it, but that it's, it's us together coming to God and, and worshiping him. Uh, if you are a first-time guest with us, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor here for Riverwood. I'm really glad you've joined us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Uh, Salem, do you mind bringing up the lights just so I can see people and they'll be able to see their Bibles in a little bit? Um, we're, we're in week three of Advent. Uh, as you heard uh, with the Advent, uh, the lighting of the Advent wreath, uh, the candle, uh, this week is joy. Uh, and when we kicked off the series, we started with a little game about Christmas songs, because that's the title of our Advent series this year. And I, I'll say this, you guys were actually pretty good at the game. Uh, if, if you remember, the game was uh, such that... Uh, I, I would give you kind of a scrambled, mixed-up title, and you had to guess which uh, Christmas carol, famous Christmas song I was referring to. Well, have you ever stopped to really listen to the lyrics of a lot of those songs? I mean, some of the songs are, are gorgeous. I mean, just absolute pure poetry. Others of them, that, yeah, they're just kind of fun. They're kind of harmless. The kids really like them. But some of them, they're just bizarre. For instance, have you ever paid attention to Jingle Bells? We, we all know the first verse goes like this. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. All right, kind of a fun song. You're jumping in the sleigh, you're, you know, the horse is drawing you through, through the hills. It's, it's wonderful, it's fun. It's not a Christmas song. And then it gets bizarre. A day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride. And soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. And you're thinking, Aaron, this isn't weird. It's kind of nice. You know, the guy's riding along. He sees a pretty girl, invites her to ride along with him, and kind of sounds a little romantic. And they're going through until this. The horse was lean and lank. Misfortune seemed his lot. He got into a drifted bank, and then we got upsought. In other words, they crashed. All right? The, 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 the whole thing tips over. They fall into the snow. They're now wet. They're now cold. Man, doesn't this just put you in the Christmas spirit? But it goes on. Verse 3. A day or two ago, the story I must tell, I went out on the snow and on my back I fell. All right, so the, they, again, he says a day or two ago, so this is still the same sleigh ride. So he gets up, he's trying to, to push the, the sleigh up, when suddenly he slips and falls into the snow. And here's what happens. A gent was riding by in a one-horse open sleigh. He laughed as there I sprawling lie, but quickly drove away. I tell you what, nothing puts me in the Christmas spirit than falling into the snow and having people laugh at me. I mean, just hits me right here. It's just bizarre. And it gets worse. I, I don't have verse 4 up there for you, but the guy didn't learn his lesson. Basically, in verse 4, he says, so grab your sleigh, grab a girl, and go as fast as you can. I mean, it, this is not a Christmas song. It's just bizarre, and yet we sing it every Christmas. It's not the only strange song, though. I mean, when you get done with the 12 days of Christmas, you suddenly realize at the end, this is the 12 days of torture. Because when the year were finished, you have 12 drummers, 22 pipers, 30 leaping lords, 36 dancing ladies, 40 milking maids, 40 golden rings, and 184 birds. Who wants to take care of 184 birds? Leanne and I had four of them. It was enough. 
right? 184. I mean, th- this is not the gifts of true love. These are the gifts of some like really imbalanced, insecure rich man. You know, and, and think about it. Not only do you have 184 birds to take care of, how are you going to employ all of these people? Right? And, and it sounds like it's like they're, they're working in trafficking. You know, it just, it is a bizarre song. I could go on though. I mean, we could talk about Santa baby, talk about Christmas shoes, baby, it's cold outside. That one really weirds me out when you look at the lyrics. And these songs are weird. And yet every December, they're on the radio, leaving us, if when you stop and listen to them, bewildered. Like when you really listen to the lyrics, you kind of scratch your head and go, What? Today, we're going to look at a Christmas song from the Bible that many people look at and they go, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. But when you hear the backstory to it, suddenly you kind of find yourself going, what? You scratch your head in bewilderment. You're thinking, how in the world could this song ever be sung? Here's the thing. When you walk out of here today or or you log off from being online, I don't want you walking out of here bewildered. I actually hope you walk out of here inspired so inspired that you will walk out of here and live the type of life that actually bewilders others because they'll look at you and go, how do you do it? The song that we're gonna look at today is found in Luke chapter one. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter one. If you are a first-time guest with us, uh, I say this every single week, so my Riverwood family is probably sick of hearing me say it, but I'm gonna say this for you. Uh, We want you to have a Bible. If you don't have one today, don't worry about it. We're gonna have the scripture up on the screen, so you're gonna be able to read right along with us. But we encourage you, when you come back next Sunday and you join us, bring a Bible with you. Now at Riverwood, we don't care if that's a digital Bible or a paper Bible, we just want you to have one. So if you've got a phone, Download a Bible to it, and then feel free to pull that out, because right here in person, we've got a number of people pulling out their phones and using their Bibles on it, and we're not accusing them of going to Facebook or Instagram. We're studying the scriptures together. If you want to go old school like me and have a paper Bible, we encourage you, go buy one for yourself. Make it your Christmas present to yourself. You can go to Walmart. They have Bibles there. If you just can't even afford it, we would love to give you one. We've got some high-quality Bibles. Uh, Normally, we've got them out uh, on a table, but because of the pandemic, we've got them stashed away. We'd love to give you one, and that will be our present to you. So just email us your your address, and we will be sure to drop one off at your house or mail one to you, and we'd love for you to then have that because we believe that by using it here on Sundays, it helps us to open it up on Monday and Tuesday and every day. We believe that God wrote this for not only a people back then, but also that is relevant today. And, and God is still trying to shape us into that image of Jesus because we believe that our world right now needs people who will live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. So we want you to have a Bible. All right, as we get ready to go into Luke chapter one, let me pray. All right, Heavenly Father, we are about to come to your timeless word. And so I realize that the things that I'm about to say over this next half hour, um, that these things will fade. But the things that you have put in your scripture, they have impacted generation after generation. And we want to be one of those generations that's impact. So we ask that right now you be our teacher. Whatever you want us to hear, may you sink that deep into our heart and our minds. And anything, God, that I say that is not of you, would you just very gracefully allow us to forget that as we, as we log off or we walk out of here. And may we remember the things that we need so that you can accomplish in us what you want to. Because God, God, we want in this Christmas season and even out of the Christmas season to have joy. So help us, God, to learn how to have joy even in the midst of trial. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are going to start today's story to understand Mary's song. We got to start all the way back at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So head to verse 26 there in Luke 1. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, chances are you've heard this story. Um, many of you, you've heard this numerous times. I mean, if, if you grew up in church, you heard this read as the little kid Christmas pageant was taking place. You know, the little six-year-old Mary is on her knees, you know, supposedly praying to God when suddenly eight-year-old Gabriel appears, who also happens to be her brother. And the whole entire church just watches it and they grin from ear to ear and they think to themselves, oh. But when you really look at the story, there isn't a whole lot here that makes you go, oh. Because what the angel is about to ask Mary to do is going to put her in a very difficult situation. Well, what we need to do is we need to go back and, and understand what, what is happening here. Mary and Joseph, it says that they are betrothed. Uh, in our day and age, we'd say the word engaged. But back then, in their mind, they're already married. However, they have not reached the wedding night. The way it worked was a young man, about 18, 20, maybe 24 years old, what finally is kind of getting himself established, and, and he's kind of ready to start a family, and he wants to have a wife. And so he starts looking about among the village and which girls are pretty, which girls seem nice, which ones seem like they would make a good wife and potentially then a good mother. And once he kind of identifies the girl and maybe talks to his friends about it, he approaches not her and asks her out on a date like they would in our day and age. He would actually approach her father. Now, this young girl would probably be about 13, 14, maybe 15 years of age. They'd walk up to the father and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. Not just I'd like to go out on a date. But I want to marry her. And so the father would begin to interview the, the young man, trying to figure out, will you take care of my kid? Like, will you be a good husband? Will you be a good father? And if he decides that this man would be a good potential mate for his daughter, they would then enter into an agreement. There might be a, a dowry given, but there's now an agreement. And at that moment, they are considered married. So she can't run off with some other guy. He can't go and date a few other women just to make sure. Like, they're now considered married. However, they don't consummate the marriage. That comes a year later. In other words, it gives the guy time to go and begin to build a house. He begins to, to build and prepare. Maybe he's adding on an extra room in his parents' place. Maybe he's gotten his, his own spot. Meanwhile, the, the young girl, 13, 14, 15 years of age, she's learning from mom how to be a wife, how to be a mom, how to operate the, the household. It, it's like a year-long apprenticeship of getting ready for marriage. When Gabriel shows up, that is where Mary and Joseph are. 
So in the eyes of their community, they're in a sense considered married, but everyone knows they haven't had the wedding night. They haven't had the big celebration. There hasn't been the moment where Joseph grabs his friend and says, it's time. And they come and they get the bride and he brings her back to the house that he's built and they go inside and they consummate the marriage. That has not happened yet. So when Gabriel shows up and says to Mary, hey, congratulations, you're going to have a son. Two things are going through her mind. First, how's this going to happen? Because I'm still a virgin. Like, I haven't been with any man. How in the world can I be pregnant? And Gabriel takes the time to explain that to her. But the second thing that I think was going through her mind is what is this going to mean for my life? Because you see, part of the reason for that entire year-long engagement was to make sure that this young couple weren't trying to get married to hide a pregnancy. So by giving that a whole year, that would let the whole entire community know that this couple was righteous, that they hadn't slept together, and that they were on the up and up. But if suddenly a girl appears pregnant before they had this wedding night, it would be a scandal. She would be considered a sinner. And so in a sense, what Gabriel is asking Mary to do is to become pregnant before she's with Joseph, and yet everyone will know, and they're going to assume the worst. Mary has a great reputation. She is a wonderful young woman. But now, what are her parents going to think? What are her friends going to think? How's her community going to react? How is Joseph going to respond? Anyone here ever done something that they regret? Pretty much every hand should go up. If you don't raise your hand, then you, you probably regret lying to everyone. We all have. We've all done something that we regret. Some of us have done things that we regret so much, we actually don't want anyone to know about it. We've kept it secret. Because if other people found out what we did, they would think differently of us. They'd probably, like, shame us. Maybe there'd be some scorn. Our, our reputation would take a hit. Maybe people wouldn't want to be around us. We might lose some friendships. We might even lose a spouse. And so we keep it secret. And so some of us, we don't have some of those things that we regret, not because we're better than others, simply because we're too petrified of what other people would think. Like we want to do it, but we don't do it because if other people found out, it could really ruin a whole lot of things. So we say no to it because we don't want the shame. We don't want the scorn. And yet Mary is knows if this happens, she will receive the shame. She will receive the scorn. She'll be considered an outcast. And yet we see her say yes. The, the, the very last verse there, she says, let it be to me according to your word. How in the world does she do it? The very previous phrase lets us know. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. A servant always does what the master asks. Always. And so if her master, her God, says, I want you to do this, then she sees herself as his servant. Okay. But have you ever said yes to something, but inside your heart you're still saying no? Like, okay, I, I know most of you haven't, but you know, as, as kids, happens all the time. Yes, mom. In, inside, you're a mess. You're griping, you're complaining. Outwardly, you're saying, oh yeah, no problem, I can do that. But inside, you're thinking, this is going to stink. So you like have to psych yourself up. Okay, we, we just gotta do this. Outwardly, yes. Inwardly, no. 
I don't think that's Mary in this moment, but, but maybe it is. The text doesn't tell us, so this is pure speculation. I just know that if I were in her shoes, I might be saying, let it be according to your word. But inside I'm thinking, God, what have you just done to my life? Now, we don't know what Mary is feeling in this moment, but we do know what she's feeling a little later. So we got to continue with the story. Uh, in verses uh, 39 through 41, we see Mary go on a trip. Uh, remember, when Gabriel showed up, he says, your cousin Elizabeth, it was probably more like her mom's cousin. There, there was quite an age difference between them. There's you know, probably a good almost 30 years between Elizabeth and, and Mary. But they were, they were family. So they, there was some familiarity between them. And, and Mary knew that Elizabeth had been barren. Last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. So if you missed that message, go online and you can catch that. But we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth were probably in their 40s and had been married for probably 30 years and had no kids. And then suddenly God shows up to Zechariah in the temple, says, you're gonna have a son. The son's gonna be the predecessor. I mean, the, 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 the guy who makes the way for the Messiah. And, and Zechariah doubts him. And so he's gonna have to be mute. And, and then the whole story is working out. So, so Mary hears your cousin Elizabeth, who, had, who couldn't have kids for like 30 years, she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month already. Now, Mary hadn't gotten the email. She hadn't you know, seen it posted on Facebook. So she's got to go check this out herself. And so this 14-year-old girl makes the trip. She goes from Nazareth, which is in the state of Galilee, down to a town that we know is in the state of Judah. It, that's the state just south. Now, we have no idea how Mary got there. If she walked, if she traveled with a group, if like, you know, maybe one of her family members went to make sure that she was fine. All we know is she gets to the town, approaches Zachariah and Elizabeth's house, and she just starts to call out, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And this happens. Pick it up with me in verse 42. And she, Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Realize, all Elizabeth has heard from Mary is Elizabeth's name. Uh, it's just Mary going, hey, Elizabeth, it's Mary, I'm here. And yet it says in the, the very prior verse that God, through the Holy Spirit, empowers Elizabeth as she begins to prophesy. And she basically confirms everything that Gabriel had just said to Mary a few weeks prior. And now she realizes, Mary realizes, God is with her. God is in control. And that causes her to sing her Christmas song. Verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and the holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The church for years has called Mary's Christmas song the Magnificat. 
And there are four things out of the Magnificat that I want to point out to you. The first is I want to point out Mary's humility. Her humility. Oftentimes, if we're going to write a story, we're, we're going to write and, and, you know, some big thing like this. We've got to pick someone really important. And yet Mary is just this common girl. She's not a princess. She's not rich. Like, she, she's well-respected. She's well-liked, but she's 14. And yet God is saying, I choose you. And that humbles her. Notice she, she calls herself a lowly servant. She identifies with those who are of a humble estate. She identifies with those who are hungry. She identifies with those who would not be considered the, the greatest. She does not think too highly of herself. I used to tell my kids this all the time. I don't as much anymore because they'd probably just roll their eyes at me. Um, but when they were younger, I would say the quickest way to unhappiness is selfishness. Because if, if, you, if you're selfish... You want it now, you want it the certain way, you want it for yourself. And when it doesn't go that way, you're unhappy. And Christmas exacerbates this. I, I mean, the kid asks for a specific toy, and when he doesn't get it, he's angry, he's upset, he's bothered, or maybe he gets the wrong color. Maybe it isn't exactly as big as he thought it would be. And so he may be filled with all these other presents, but there's no thankfulness for it. And so he gets angry and mad. Selfishness is the quickest path to unhappiness. Mary, though, is not selfish. Mary here is not singing about herself. Yeah, she's in her song a little bit. But as we see what she sings about herself, she sings with humility because she realizes this story is not about her. God is doing something bigger, and she feels honored to get to be brought into it. That leads to our second point, that because she's humble, we also see in her song that she's incredibly God-focused. She is God-focused. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, there were my, my Twitter feed uh, blew up about a specific tweet that this person put out. I, I don't know this person, uh, but here is the tweet. Christmas season. Is about God choosing a woman to lead a revolution of reorganizing the structures of societal power by her leadership, tenderness, and faith. Now, I, I don't know who this person is, uh, but I, I'll say this with all respect. She's wrong. Now, now don't, don't mishear me. I, I actually like that this gal is inspired by Mary and that she has a really high view of Mary. You know, the, the Catholic Church, and, and I know some of you have Catholic backgrounds, maybe some of you still have a lot of Catholic family, and so I'm not trying to dis-Catholic, but in my opinion, the Catholics have too high a view of Mary, but a lot of us Protestants, we have too low a view of Mary. Like, like we've, we, we just don't honor her like she probably should be. So I'm actually glad this gal is giving some honor to Mary, because Mary was a remarkable girl. She had to have been for God to choose her. God put her on the earth, used this incredible woman to help bring about the Messiah. But when you look at Mary's song, she doesn't say, this is all about me. Her entire song is all about God. Her song is God-focused because Christmas is not about Mary first and foremost. Christmas is about Jesus and God's plan to send him in the world for us. And then we see that in her song. So we see this incredible humility in Mary. And that humility is what allows her to sing about God. So let me ask you. In your life song, is your, is your song singing about God 
Or does your song tend to sing a little bit more about self? I'll be honest. My song is not nearly as God-focused as I want it to be. In my day-to-day, in my thoughts, my life, there's still way too much me in my song. I want to become more like this 14-year-old Jewish girl whose song, in the midst of all that she's going to face, in the, in the midst of what's going to happen to her, how she's going to be an outcast, the, the whispers that are going to happen, how people aren't going to want to be around her, they're going to think certain things of her, she still has this focus on God. And that leads to the third thing I want to point out. The reason she has that focus on God is because she trusts him. If I could put this into a mathematical formula, I would say that humility plus a God focus equals trust. Humility plus a God focus leads you to trust. That's how we are to to live our lives. If you find yourself at a place where I, I just don't trust God, maybe it's because you're not living with humility. Maybe you're just not focused on God enough. Your focus is still too much on me. Maybe, maybe in the past you feel like God has let you down. And so you kind of had to raise it up like, well, I, I'm going to have to step up here because God wasn't there for me. So the humility kind of disappears as you raise yourself and your focus on God is going down. If you want to experience this kind of trust, you, you, you got to see it flipped. But when you live with that kind of trust... When when you live at that level, it leads you to the fourth thing. It leads you to joy. When when Joseph learned that Mary was uh, pregnant, Matthew chapter 1 tells us that he decides he's going to divorce her quietly. Now, he uses the word divorce because, again, they were considered married even though they hadn't come together physically. And so he has to divorce her. But it says that he's going to do it quietly. I think Joseph genuinely cared for Mary. It's just that because he's righteous, he knows he cannot live a lie of of taking this kid and pretending that it's his because he knows he's not the father. He sought to live a righteous life. And so what's this going to do? He's not going to take the hit for this. And so he's going to divorce her to make it clear to everyone, not my kid, but he's going to do it quietly because in the Old Testament, if a woman was to be found pregnant like in a situation like this, if a charge is brought against her and she's found guilty of sleeping with someone else, she could be stoned and killed for this. So he's going to do it quietly. Not going to bring a charge against her. He's going to allow her to live. He's going to allow this baby to live. And, and whoever the father is, they can deal with it. Now, we know the rest of the story. Gabriel shows up in a dream to, to Joseph, explains the whole situation, and Joseph ends up marrying her. But when Mary is singing this song in front of Elizabeth, she doesn't know what Joseph's response is going to be. She doesn't know what her parents are going to think. She doesn't know how her community will eventually treat her. And yet, even in the face of all of that, and all the unknown of the anxiety that could be there, she still sings with joy. Because she has this humility, she doesn't think too much of herself. It isn't about me. Instead, it's all about him. Her focus is on God and all that he has accomplished and all he will do. And so she can trust him. Even though her life is about to be upended, she still trusts him. And that is why she sings with joy. We hear it in the very first words of her song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
This is not the first time, though, in Scripture that we hear this kind of joy-filled song in the midst of the struggle. Uh, In Habakkuk chapter 3, it says this, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When someone lives with that kind of joy, like when things aren't going well, like they have cancer, they just lost a loved one, there's something going on with their kids, they've lost their job, they're facing a financial crisis, and yet they still seem to have this joy, it leaves you scratching your head. Like how, how do they do it? For, for a number of us, 2020 has been a hard year. There's been all sorts of tension within our culture because of an election year, because of the the racial issues that that have been going on. There's been tension over masks. And and then there's the the personal stuff that's been going on in some of us. Some of you, you've had surgery. You're you're, you're going through a, a physical condition right now. Some of you, you've lost a loved one this year. Some of you, you've lost your job. This has been a hard, some of you might even say a cruel year. And even, even if 2020 has actually been just fine, you didn't lose your job, you didn't lose a loved one, like things have actually, this has actually been an okay year. Many of us, we're still feeling something. I was just talking to a friend a couple weeks ago and he pointed out that his schedule is, has been freer than it has been in a long time and yet he feels more stressed than he has in a long time. Like he, he's just wearing out under this pandemic. And, and he's not in the medical field where they've been super busy and stressed. He's not in a, a different area. But like, is, he just feels it. That's how I think it has been for a number of us. And now here we come to Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be all these warm fuzzies, all the lights and the music and everything. And we're looking at it going, how in the world? But remember, two weeks ago, as we looked at Isaiah's song, We saw that when basically it seems like life is despairing, we have hope. And then last week we learned through Zechariah that even in the midst of all the struggle and trial of life, that in the chaos of it all, we can have peace. Well, this week Mary helps us see that even when we're facing the unknown, even when things aren't going the way we want, even when the dream isn't being completed, we can have joy. But to have that kind of joy requires us to be humble, to put our focus on God, and to trust Him. And so that's what we want to do right now with communion. As we distribute the elements here in person, or you're online and you're going and grabbing them, we want you to take it and realize that as you take those elements, it's not about you. This whole entire story is all about God. And so that allows you to then put your focus on God. Take these elements and let them put your focus on Jesus. Look at the cross. Realize that Jesus came to be born of a virgin, to go and, and die on the cross in our place. And then as you put that focus on Jesus, just simply express your trust. Now, some of you, I realize you need to take this next moment and you need to confess. You need to confess that you've had way too much of you in your life song. And so you need to say, God, help me to have that God focus. Some of you realize that you've been thinking too much about yourself. God, help me have that humility. 
Some of you, you realize that this year you haven't been trusting God. This is your time to say, God, help me to trust you. But in the midst of it all, I encourage you, as you take these elements, as you remember that that bread is the body of Christ taken, uh, broken for you, and that uh, cup is his blood shed for you, may you do this with joy. Because <laughs> you guys, Jesus came. He left his throne in heaven to come to this earth for us. So may we take this next moment and do it humbly. May we do it with a, a focus on God. May, may we do it expressing our trust, but may we do it in remembrance of him with joy. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would create a holy moment right now. Whether we are here in person at 2704 Fifth Avenue Northwest or we are joining online and wherever we might be in, in, in Waverly or Clarksville or, Sh or Shell Rock or Janesville or even in, in a different state, God, right now, you can meet with us. God, we are inspired by Mary. Her willingness to do what she did in the, in the face of what could happen to her, it is inspiring. God, I want to live that kind of life. So God, help me to live life humbly. Help me to keep my focus daily on you, on the gospel, on what Jesus did. And help me to live with trust in each day, in each moment. And as I do so, fill me with joy. God, I pray that for my church family. I pray that for our world. I pray that we would find our joy in Jesus. And so, Father, for the person right now that does not know you, and that's watching this online or listening to this on the, the podcast afterwards, I pray that right now you'd be ministering to their heart, drawing them to you, that right now they would be confessing their sin saying they want to follow you, that you would be their God, and they would now have new birth, that spiritually they become a new person, that this be their spiritual birthday. So God, help us right now to come to you, no matter where we're at, no matter what's been happening, that we just put our focus fully on you, because you are God, and you are good, and you are in control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.